Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. I am so thankful, so excited. Yo, it's Black History Month. You know, and it's interesting. Black History Month, we talk about it in this context, oftentimes anyway, we talk about blackness. I mean, this is a really a white supremacist-like function, but we talk about blackness in the context of suffering, right? We don't talk about blackness in the context of brilliance and innovation or resilience or, you know, collaboration. We don't talk about blackness and it's like core like the criticality of just like black people to all of human history we typically talk about blackness in the context of like extreme anguish and despair and so i am really like looking out as i say this in the podcast um, if you are black i'm telling you, you are living black history you're making black history every day simply by showing up and being who you are in the spaces you inhabit now i'm not talking to y'all who over here willingly being co-opted and selling people out and you know buck dancing and stuff i'm not talking to you i'm talking about <laughs> i'm talking to everybody else i don't think a bunch of like sellouts listen to live in corporate i don't think so i feel like this content will make you too uncomfortable i don't know the point is, is that it's black history month and it was just Valentine's Day. I hope that whatever your day consisted of, there was love involved, right? Um, shout out to the entire Living Corporate team. Shout out to everything we got going on. Yo, oh my gosh. <laughs> this spring, all right, I want you to mark your calendars. Early May, that's what I can say. Just early May, mark your calendars. Early May, pay attention. Early May, early May, some stuff is popping off. I want you to pay it, all right? So mark your calendars, okay? We'll put a little like countdown thing. You can sign up, be notified. But I'm so excited about where Living Corporate is headed this year. And yeah, just early May. That's all I got to say. Just I'm, I'm going to say that for the next couple of weeks. And then as we get closer, I'll share more details. But early May. All right. Pay attention. Really excited about our guest today, Nicole Sanchez. Nicole Sanchez is a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but she's an executive, a board member, a public speaker, an educator, a mentor, a sponsor. Um, I've been looking to have her on the pod for a while. We talk in this conversation about just like the landscape of DEI. She's a DEI consultant. We talk about her journey and like pivoting and hanging her own shingle. Um, the conversation she's having with her clients um, around diversity, equity, inclusion, and where, where she sees this space going this decade. And I, I just really appreciate her boldness. I appreciate her transparency and her vulnerability. Uh, but before we get to that conversation, we're going to tap in with Tristan. So I'll see you in a minute. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's talk about three ways to shift your job search approach. 
A lot has changed for job seekers since the start of the pandemic. The rules for finding a new job are completely different from what they were prior to the pandemic and even in the early days of the pandemic. This means we have to shift how we plan to find work in this job market. So let's talk about three ways you can shift your job search approach. Forget what you think you know about a job search. The rules that applied and strategies that were engaged in the yesteryear of job searching may not be as applicable or effective during this time. Consider new ways of networking, applying, and interviewing for a job. With more companies supporting remote work and finding talent with non-traditional backgrounds, you may be able to apply for a position you previously weren't able to due to location or education. Don't disqualify yourself for a role because you don't meet 100% of the criteria. Now, that doesn't mean you can apply to jobs you're wholly unqualified for. Instead, form a narrative around your accomplishments that relate to the job you're seeking. Identify the transferable skills and results, then build tailored documents to show how your experience aligns. Reverse engineer your job search. Think about the position you want and the companies you want to work at. Identify the skills they're looking for, and if you don't have those, develop a plan to gain or sharpen those skills. Check LinkedIn to see if you have any connections that work at those companies. Look at their career trajectories to identify similarities. If you can find recruiters, even better. Either way, try to set up an informational interview with those people. The goal is to build relationships within the company, understand the role, and figure out if you want to work at the company, even if there may not be a position open at the moment. In building these relationships, you can get on the radar of a hiring manager or recruiter when an opportunity does arise. New jobs are typically circulated internally for referrals before they're posted publicly, so having the inside connection could get you an interview faster. Don't be desperate throughout your job search. Hiring managers can smell desperation from a mile away, which can put you at a disadvantage, like receiving a lowball offer. Throughout the process, work to position yourself as the solution to the problem the company is experiencing instead of just a job seeker. A job seeker goes into an interview simply looking to fill an open role, whereas a solutions provider goes in on a fact-finding mission to determine how their skills align with the problem the employer is trying to solve. This creates a unique dynamic in the interview and turns it into more of a conversation where you can showcase how you are the right fit for what they're looking to do. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. It's been a long time coming, but welcome I to the know. show. Thank How are you? you? Oh, I'm doing how probably everybody's doing who's listening to this. It's like today was a pretty good day. Who knows what tomorrow brings, but thank you so much for having me, Zach. I know we've had all of these attempts to try and make this happen. And then um, here we finally are. I'm so excited to be on your podcast and you've had many of my good friends on. So I'm excited for our talk. You know, like what really initially got me excited to reach out and connect and looks like we followed each other was about just like the the published work that I'd seen and some of the blogs and things you've written. Um, mm -hmm. And I would just love to like learn more about Baia Consulting. <laughs> It's, it's been almost, it's going on eight years now. Like you've been mm -hmm. in this for a while. Before mm -hmm. that, you were at GitHub, the VP of Social Impact. Like, talk to me about like your journey and like, like kind of like what, what was it that drove you to hang your own shingle? And then two, like, what's that been like in this mm. space? Mm. So I've been doing DEI work 
uh, professionally for 28 years. Um, you know, it's been called lots of different things. Who, who knows what we're going to call it tomorrow. I am very agnostic about what we call it. And for all the criticisms of it, I agree with a lot of the criticisms of it. So DEI asterisk, right, in this space, which I er early on defined as trying to make workplaces less painful for people like me <laughs> and other folks who were underrepresented because I just, you know, I graduated from college and went into my first job and just thought, oh, no, 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 no. This cannot be what we're what we're being asked to do and how we're being treated. And, you know, seeing my own parents, my, I come from a very working class background, you're having very little agency in the workplace, right, to be able to push back on something. And here I am, a first generation in my family to be able to go, wait a minute, I have a fancy degree now. I have a title. I have some financial security. Let me not sit here and not do something about this. And also it was just, it's painful no matter how much you make or what your title is. And so that was what started me on my journey. I also started really early on with a nonprofit um, whose basic premise was that diverse teams yield better results in the community. Mm -hmm. And for all of that organization's flaws, they were absolutely correct on that front. And so right out of the gate, I got to see the alternative to homogeneity in the workplace. I worked with people who were way different than me and I was asked to lead them in real service. We were at, a, at an elementary school in Roxbury, Massachusetts, and it was great. And some of us were from there, some of us weren't. And I had to make something real happen for kids, real kids in a real school, you know? And I learned that when you do have, I saw it in action, when you do have a diverse group of people working together towards a common goal and you can build psychological safety and all those things are in place, really cool stuff happens. And I think so many of us haven't even had a chance to experience that. So we don't know how cool it, and fun it can actually be when you're on a team like that. So that's what set me on my journey. Um, did a lot of things in between, mostly hung around tech for, for my career and decided to hang a shingle when I had really, really wanted to lead an organization uh, that I thought I was going to be able to lead. And one day was told, you're not CEO material. And I was crushed uh, because I thought for sure that I was. Um, and it turned out that wasn't gonna happen. And I, I had been very clear, I wanna be a CEO. I knew that was something that I wanted to be in part because like so many of us, we were told we were, we're not going to be a CEO. You're not a CEO, right? You're a nice support person. You know, you're a smart kid, but sit in the back and take the notes. Like that's kind of what my career was like. And so I finally just pulled the plug on working for somebody else and said, oh, I think the only way I'm going to be a CEO is if I make myself a CEO. And that's, that's actually, I, I haven't really told the story that way. I kind of, mm. I feel, I feel like this is the stuff that a lot of your, this is the kind of the vulnerability that your guests have had with you. And I feel like it's something I could tell here because it's, it would be meaningful to the people who listen to your podcast. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what made me do it. And it's been a crazy journey in, in house, out of house, out of house in, in, in certain um, times and places, like when I went inside to, to GitHub and acted as the uh, VP of social impact there, which I, I learned so much and met amazing people, really, really, really smart people who had, really good ideas that, you know, some of which will, some of which will never see the light of day, unfortunately. Um, so I don't know, that leads me all the way to here. I'm going to be 50 years old this year, Zach. And uh, congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm very excited. I, I, I'm really like, this is my 50th year. So I'm kind of like, 
I don't know. I'm just kind of laying it all out there now. Like, why not? It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, that's that's a little bit about my journey. You know, we've been in this. Um, I feel like when you we, we and I followed each other, it feels like it was just yesterday, and yet so much has happened. We initially connected. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk about this post George Floyd era. I I really don't use that language, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, like. What have you been seeing as a CEO mm-hmm. of Value Consulting, as like a thought leader, as someone just paying attention? Mm-hmm. What are some of the trends you've been seeing since a couple summers ago to now? And have you seen ebbs and flows? Have you seen like, have you seen a cycle? Have you seen a straight line? Mm-hmm. Have you seen a parabola? Like, talk to me about what you've seen mm-hmm. in this DEI space and what you're seeing corporations do, what you're seeing, you know, company mm-hmm. cultures do. Like, I'd love just to get your perspective as you look at the landscape. Sure. Yeah, what we call it at Via is the Great White Awakening. And I wish I knew who said that first, because I don't like the post-George Floyd language either. So Great White Awakening. And if you would, if you know, if you find out who said it first, I'd love to credit that person, because that's really what happened. It was like, so many of us have been out here going, oh, this is the one? This is the one that's going to get you all to understand? And I think I, I have seen a major shift. So my, my intake um, from between... 2019, which even, you know, yeah, 2019 to 2020 was, uh, it increased by 1500%, right? Just in terms of the kind of inflow of people asking, what do we do? And obviously we couldn't, we could not serve all of those, but we worked with 40 companies in 2020 and then fewer companies in 2021, because the trend we were seeing is a lot of people came out hard and said, we want to do this. We, Black Lives Matter. And we know that people are, you know, our workforce is really hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay. And so what I'm seeing is the people who are serious about it, sticking with it, the people who, you know, lost interest in it are, are gone. And so we've been able to whittle down that group of 40. I'll say I have about, at any given time, about five clients that are doing the right things in the right order. So wait, Nicole, you said five companies? I mean, I don't want to make presumptions or assumptions about your company's size. Yeah. We're small. Yeah. But f- but only five? Like, I would, like, why? I mean, I would think it'd be, like, half or maybe, like, two-thirds. Oh, no. No, no. And when you say the right thing, like, what do you mean? So what a lot of people wanted in 2020 was trainings. And, you know, that's, that's always the go-to. It's like, do an unconscious bias training for us because, you know, we're... We can we can talk about that later if you want, but you know, so I would have to do some education around like I'm not going to do an unconscious bias training, but I am going to do the introduction of what you all need to be talking about. Like, what is DEI? Let's all get on the same page. I'll do I'll train your entire company if you want. It was like let's all just make sure everybody knows what we're really talking about. So we really talked about what will it mean for us to be an anti-racist organization. What will it mean for us to center the Black experience? What will it mean to really do the work that backs up Black Lives Matter? Because that, that you know, thank goodness for the movement, because I could go into a place and go, if you're seriously posting on your social Black Lives Matter, here's what you actually need to do to show up for that, you know, in that way. And so I think far too many companies thought that that was the work. That was it. We did the training. Everybody talked about it. Like, oh, we got it from here. You don't got it from here, but but okay, you're showing where your commitment level is. It's not it's not much. And I would say of the five that I'm working with at any given time, and I think are really doing the right things, they're very different companies in very different phases. So I have the luxury now of being kind of selective about who I get to work with. 
Right. So I don't have to do that thing that we all have to do as part of our practice, which is like, hold your nose and, and make a paycheck sometimes. And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. really are like, because that's the reality of running your own business. I mean, people got to have to get paid, you know? Um, and so, you know, go, oh, can I really, how long can I be in this business and what can I move forward? And I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I definitely have had to do that in the past. I'll be perfectly honest, but being able to do that means I'm seeing people who are going far. So I think there's probably more than the five I'm talking about where something is happening, but the five, I, these, these I think are in the lead in their space. And so one is, you know, in film and entertainment, one is a very small startup tech startup. One is a, a small to medium sized, high growth um, startup tech startup, you know, so it's like they're in different phases, but there's something going right that we can leverage to really catapult their work forward. You know, you made a comment on, you tweeted something the other day. You said like, why don't y'all read, uh, why don't companies read exit interviews, for black employees? So Black History Month. Well, they need to know their own black history in their own company, don't they? <laughs> That's a bar. That's a bar. No, so so it's funny because I think like, I and I, I'm pro this too. There seems still to be like this like true aversion to discomfort within like just Western context. So like, you know, like white folks don't like to be uncomfortable. Like, I mean, even like shout out to Dr. Tim Okun, like she talks about part of white supremacy culture. One of the elements or tenets of white supremacy culture is a, a right to comfort. Like I have the right, I any discomfort is actually some type of encroachment upon me as a person. But discomfort and DEI go hand in hand. So, you know, do you have you found yourself having to have those conversations? Like, hey, like this isn't going to be when you talk to clients. Like, hey, part of this might be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's where I start. That's where I start the vetting process with clients to see if we're a match, right? I don't. We're, we don't. And I, and I don't think I think anybody running their own consulting firm needs to learn how to do this. Is to see who's a match. I know, again, sometimes you have to take a job. I don't mean that. But if you're trying to be in practice for a while to understand what you're really good at, what you're not, and what are the indicators of a potential client that they're going to be open to your style and what you have to bring. So for me, it's very important that I say that up front in our intake call, where I say there's absolutely no part of me that feels responsible for keeping you comfortable. Do you understand what that means? (laughs) And, and, you know, nine times, nine times out of 10, there is one person of color on the call who you can be, see, go, you know, like laugh, <laughs> you know, from the other side, they're like, oh no. And, you know, that gets credibility. Cause it's like, I'm really not, I don't, I, I truly, when I say I truly don't care to make, to make white supremacy, to comfort white supremacy. I mean, every job I've ever lost or left came to a head. You were around. at peace calling out. Yes, I am fine with my enemies. I am fine with how I left things. I am fine because at some point, white supremacy has to be challenged at the very, 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 very tippy top. In the hardest moments when there are billions of dollars on the table, if you cannot reject white supremacy in that moment, you can't reject white supremacy. And so if you are lured by dollars, if you are lured by fame, if you are lured by a brand, if you're lured by a celebrity, you're not going to be able to actually confront white supremacy. So I'm very clear about that. And then the other thing that I say is 
I need to hear you say black. Tell me about your black employees. And you know your de- what kind of company you're dealing with when your head of HR goes, well, I, I, the African-American, the, 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 the people of the African-American numbers, I'm like, oh, wow, you all can't even say black. We're like, that's like a, scared. a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're way too scared. Like, I, I don't think I'm the person for you because I'm going to come in and say, oh, which mic are you talking about? White mic or black mic? And you're going to have to tell me <laughs> on your staff, oh, yeah, Mike, who's black? Right. Can you say that? Because there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Can you be not black and say black with your whole chest? Because we all need to do this, right? <laughs> Thank goodness I have had teachers right. and mentors kept my, you know, my 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 Latina my my Latina ass in line on this. I need to be able to say black with my with my whole chest. And if I'm not teaching other non-black people to do that, well, then I'm I'm deficient. I'm not doing my work. And so it's this long dance with potential clients that I can tell right off the bat. You know, and we say no a lot. Again, that's a luxury. That's a privilege that I now have from being in the space for so long. But being able to say no because, and I don't even have to tell them why I say no, but like in our Just notes, no. be like, your head of HR could not say black. <laughs> like they don't capitalize black, you know, like, and so this is a problem. We're not, I don't want to start at the basics. I'm too old and I've been at this for too long to bring people's basic asses along. <laughs> I think it's scary that like unconscious bias. No, no, no. I'm right there with you. Okay. And and shout out to like being impatient and not being willing to yield on certain foundational things, right? Like mm-hmm. that you, or things that you've said as foundational. I think, you know, as you think about like even this space, like it's kind of shocking to me that unconscious bias training is still like oh. socially accepted. I know, I know we laugh about it. Like we laugh, like on in our little spaces, we'll be like, that's some bullshit. But the fact that it's still like a thing. And it's like, I mean, I've had, I continue to have conversations with all types of folks, organizations, leaders, other practitioners, and they will rattle, they'll quickly point to unconscious bias training. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) the thing about it, it, (laughs) it's like the things that we're actually having issues with right now, none of it is unconscious. Mm -hmm. Like all of it is, it's all conscious. Like, That's right. January 6th was conscious. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump being elected was conscious. Mm -hmm. Shoot. These book bannings are conscious. People being anti-COVID vaccine is conscious. Anti-vax is consciousness. Like, it's bad. Like, these laws not passing voting rights is conscious. Like, it's all conscious. It's all conscious because... Like, y'all don't... Yeah. I remember having this... I was at GitHub at the time, right before Donald Trump got elected. And I was meeting with my team... Um, the social impact team. I had a whole team. I had a budget. We got we got some stuff done when in that in that period of time, some really good stuff done. And I remember saying to them, "Hey, you know, depending on how this election goes, our work's going to look real different." And I I predict that this team will not exist if if Donald Trump wins. We were living in Obama's, you know, whatever. There was still some idealism afoot, good for good, bad, or other. You know, I got I've got questions for him. Should I ever meet him? Um, but like I said, I don't think I don't think this team is going to exist for much longer. And sure enough, it was so clear how intentionally how intentional the dismantling of that social impact work was. And this is another again, one of those things I don't talk about quite openly, um, you know, because I think there's a nuance there that a lot of people won't get. I loved my time at GitHub. I love the people I met. I loved my team. 
I really believed in open source methodology. I really believed in the engineers. I really believed that we were going to go somewhere. And again, when people put real money, billions of dollars on the table, you can just watch who gets cut out systematically. It is conscious. It is not unconscious. We use the word equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we use it to apply to everything except for the literal distribution of shares of the company, which Silicon Valley calls equity. It's literally the same word. And we pretend like it. if your equity doesn't show up in your equity, you are not running an equitable organization. So that's where my bar is. And when I say I get to be choosy about who I work with, there are companies who are talking about this and thinking about this, thinking about what does it mean to do massive wealth transference in a tech context to a diverse team where the social impact of making more black and brown people and therefore their families financially sustainable, financially secure, the impact of that is extraordinary. And those are the parts of DEI that I've always been really like most excited about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I went off there for a second, Zach. <laughs> no, no, you're good. So, so it's interesting. And I've asked this question before. I think we mm -hmm. had uh, yeah we had Yvonne on. Um, oh, I love Yvonne. Uh, shout out to Reddy. Yes, 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 yes. Her um, book. She just she has a book that just came out. Uh, it's called. She's coming back. We're gonna talk about. Shut, yes, yes. Now, Nicole, this is your time. I love the fact that you're seeding space and showing yeah. love because we're not in a, you know, it's not a scarcity mindset. But we got yeah. Yvonne coming back really soon to talk about the book. Now, back to you, though. I've asked this question before. You just talked about wealth transfer. Like, I think that those concepts are what scare the shit out of people. I don't and I don't think that corporate America as it stands today is even ready to have those conversations. I mean, like, I'd love for you to prove me wrong, like. Talk to me about what that's looked like for you at Value Consult. Like, I don't, the, I think that's the entire core, like, fear around all of this work is that people are going to lose power. That's correct. And so what does that look like for you to navigate those discussions in a meaningful and productive way? Well, I mean, I, I try and figure it out every day because there's no real map. You know, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to explain some of the weird rooms I've found myself in where I get to see that the real the real sausage being made. And I think it, for me, it boiled down to, cause I'll just be very explicit. And I was very explicit about this at GitHub. That is what I wanted to do. That what I just explained. And we did with the Microsoft acquisition, there were a lot of black and brown folks, a lot of queer folks who were not having access to opportunities that would change their financial situation have now some security. That is not how I wanted it to go. I didn't win that battle, but did we do some of it? Yes. And it scared the shit out of them, of them, the board, the investors. Though. And I can only ex explain it in a nutshell when I'm sitting with, in a room with these guys, you know, the Midas list guys, the Silicon Valley Midas list guys. And one of them looks at me and says, you're very good at what you do. And I said, wow. <laughs> Thank you. And then he said, but I just fear you're not a capitalist. <laughs> I shit you not. And I said, I didn't know that was a prerequisite. And he's like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't think that you're basically like that I don't understand how money should be managed. I'm, I've got a whole ass MBA. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, CEO of my own business. And, and he's just like, you're not a capitalist. And I was like, I don't know how to answer that question because I'm certainly not going to say, yes, I am. I'm going to say, <laughs> thank you. This is, 
Yeah, you're exactly. Right. I'm gonna, I can play, I can do this. I can show you how this way is actually going to be better for you and you still don't want it because the fear of black and brown people having power is the scariest thing to white America. And gun laws didn't really happen the way we know them now until what? Until the Black Panthers started right. showing up. Right, 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 right. We don't need more evidence that that's what's going on. It's the same thing there as it is in tech, in Silicon Valley, as it is on Wall Street, as it is in Hollywood. It's the same thing of white folks who are scared of losing their status. That's it, period. And, you know, even that piece, though, like, and I still have questions about, like, as someone who's been in the space for some years, like, I'm curious about, like, the long-term sustainability of DEI, like, in a late-stage capitalist context. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, it, especially, like, internal. I think I think there's always going to be some external stuff because companies are always going to look for a way to say we did. So they want to check the box in some way, even, like, in the worst. They're like, well, we, we, we did this, right? But... I'm saying like the internal DEI function. I don't know. No, I don't know either. Mm -mm. I don't know its viability. I'm not pleased with where the field is right now. This is not what I think some of us who were there. And to be fair, I'm in like the second wave. The first wave was like, you know, that stuff that was happening, hidden figures, right? Like that, like 50s, -hmm. 60s. Folks who had were not connected to each other and just trying to do what they were doing in the workplace the first time, underrepresented folks mm-hmm. were showing up in professional workspaces, not as the cleaning person, not as the food service person, right? Um, and so those were the real the, the pioneers. And then the folks in like the 80s, right? You've got your your like Ursula Burns's, who was the first black CEO woman of a well, other than you know of this era um, when she was mm-hmm. the CEO of Xerox. Right. And so, you know, those are folks. And then I think there are folks like me who came in through an idealistic 90s lens and we were like, okay, like, let's let's actually build our way out of this. Let's actually do something that is much more constructive than what we were handed. But Gen X, we're too small and we just couldn't. We were smushed by boomers on one side and millennials on the other. And I didn't see a real change until millennials started coming of age in the workplace. And now that Gen Z is coming, is coming. I mean, millennials shook everything up, and Gen Z is just going to come and just like they're like, "What's Blow this ball?" And just like <laughs> knock it over, and she's like, "I'm sorry, what did you say?" And I and I love it. I love it so much. I love Gen Z with my whole heart because I'm also a mom of two Gen Zers, and I love Amen. I love they push on everything, and it's beautiful, and they're the most diverse most multiracial and multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. queerest uh, group of neurodiverse people, the world, the largest the world has ever seen. And they're like, oh, oh no, 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 no. It's so exciting. And the world is going in their way, in their direction. And now I go, oh, I, it actually, I don't think it matters. I don't love, like I said, I don't love where this, the field is, but I don't think it matters because Gen Z is going to make something way better out of the breadcrumbs that we're leaving. I agree. Like, I still feel the need to, like, stay and build things. But, like, when I look at my siblings. (laughs) How old are they? Um, My oldest baby sister um, is 21. Uh And then I have another sister who's 20. Mm -hmm. Then I have a, then then 18 and then 17. They're built right. They're they're like right in the heart of that generation, right? And so they talk to me about how they feel about stuff and how that what their friends are doing and like, and I'm just like, oh, okay. 
it's new. It's new language. It's new concepts. It's new everything. It's just really so. It's going to be a different like to your. That's a good point though, and that does give me a different type of hope that you know it may not be an office. It might just be hey no like we're just not yeah doing that. Hey, we're not going to tolerate. No, our pay is going to be like this. No, we're going to have our benefits like that because. And because the when you think about the future of work, I mean, even just like with technology, folks maybe not having even nine to five, like just the whole future of work. Like you have no, we have no idea. Like yeah. we can come and prognosticate as much as we like, but like technology and stuff is changing at such a fast rate. And like I, like you said, Generation Z is such a different group of people. We really don't know, mm-hmm. you know, what the workplace look will look like in twenty. No, I'm sorry, fifteen years. Like not twenty some years, fifteen years. It's gonna be completely different. So look, I, we could talk all day, I know, I Nicole. Love let 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 me ask you this before I let you go. Like, parting words and shout outs to executive leaders in this moment right now, as we look at like this election cycle, as we look at again like ongoing pressure, black and brown folks, particularly black trans women, continue to be killed mm-hmm. um, at the hands of police on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, there continues to be injustice. Like, mm-hmm. nothing has really socially changed mm-hmm. for several communities since George Floyd's murder, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to organizations right now in this moment? I would give them the advice that, it's funny that that I'm really glad you brought up black trans women, black black trans folks overall, because that's actually where I go with my clients is the most vulnerable person. Because, you know, they'll try and say, well, what about this? And what about that? You know, but what about disabled folks? I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, black disabled folks. Yeah. What about trans folk? Mm Mm-hmm. Black trans, black disabled trans folks. Like, keep going. I'll st- We'll do this all day. You will not get me around black. Like that's, you know, <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. That has to be a fundamental principle. And so, mm-hmm. the advice I have for organizations right now, and, and especially for for leaders, I will say, is go talk to your youngest, newest, brownest, blackest, queerest employees. Go mm-hmm. talk to them and say, I don't get this. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you're experiencing this company because I came up in a totally different time. And just listen, like literally if that, if you, if you want one activity to do it and, and go back and read the exit interviews of your black employees, but like for real, because, because I'm not, I'm not joking about that. There yeah. are employees who will always tell the truth on their way out. Not everybody will because there's risk and there's all kinds of things that you're calculating, but somebody did. And I guarantee you it was a black person and it's probably a black woman. That's probably a queer black woman, right? And you, we, go, we go on and on and on. And they're telling you where it hurts in your organization and you're not listening. And so do it proactively before you lose all this talent. Go talk to all of these young people who are in your workforce right now who you really don't understand. Go talk to your volunteer DEI committee. If I could get a CEO to proactively go and talk to some volunteer DEI committee and go, what are you all trying to do? What's wrong? And then listen and make it safe for, you know, for people to say, that's it then the rest of it can write itself. But it's there's so many layers of ego between here and there that that's usually, you know, what gets these companies every time. Nicole, it's been a fire conversation. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for being a guest. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Yeah. I hope that you felt comfortable enough. We can see your friend the show. Hope you come back. Oh, please. Uh, yeah, because I, I have some writing that, I'm, that I would love to come back and share with y'all that is on this topic. Let's definitely do it. Okay. Thanks, Zach. Peace.
And we're back. Yo, shout out to Nicole Sanchez. Make sure if you aren't following Nicole on all the socials, click the link in the show notes to learn more about everything she has going on. And um, yo, just thank you. Thank you for the love. Make sure if you haven't already, stop. Go on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Okay. Helps us out a lot. And then also just check out like Living Corporate's network. Like We have tons of different content out there for you. Shout out to the Break Room podcast focused on mental health for black folks at work. Shout out to the leadership range. Neil Edwards is coming back. Really excited about Neil and his content. Excited about Liberated Love Notes and everything that represents for wholeness and reconciling uh, yourself to yourself, um, personal identity, blackness, um, and really like self-affirmations. It's beautiful content. Thank you, Brittany, Janae Harris. Thank you for all your work. Shout out to Vonda Page over at the group chat you know, just thankful, right? Like we have a lot of content going on. The access point is coming back really soon. Shout out to Justin Blyden and the entire team, BG, Julia, uh, Dr. Edmonds. Like, thank you so, 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 so much. And um, until next time, this has been Zach. Catch you soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.